Yeah, so the weather here has been really, really cold. All of a sudden, it's uh, it's snowing today. What's the weather like out in Virginia, TJ? A little bit warmer than I think it's... Oh, come on. That's my bad. <laughs> you know what? It pissed me off because I've been really good about like turning that thing off when I'm done with it. And I guess I forgot. Oh, hold on. Hi there, this is Scott. Welcome to episode 7 of Plastic Posse Podcast, sponsored by Goodman Models. We have another great episode planned for you today. We're going to talk about our modeling inspiration, things that we enjoy that inspire us to get to our benches. We also have a metric crap ton of listener feedback from episode 6. It would seem that everyone really enjoyed our interview with Uncle Night Shift, so we really appreciate that. Stick with us as we're going to have more exciting guests and episodes uh, coming up that we've got planned for you. I'm joined, as always, for this episode by our Warhammer Paintmeister extraordinaire, TJ Holler. How you doing, man? Uh, pretty good. Awesome. And also joining us from his Reptile Observatory, Doug Smith. How you doing, Doug? I'm doing all right. And let me apologize up ahead. I have Oreos. And if you can hear me chewing, I'm very sorry. <laughs> All right. I just wanted to remind our listeners to tune in and listen to our sister scale modeling podcasts. We have On the Bench, Plastic Model Mojo, and Scale Modeling Podcasts. There's a great podcast, and they've all been killing it as of late. Plastic Model Mojo with Dave and Mike. They have a special guest, Jim Bates, from a Scale Model Canadian YouTube channel. And they talk about fear and self-loathing in our hobby. On the Bench. Godfather Dave, Ian, and Julian are on episode 95, and they have an interview with the owners of a brand new model company, Beacon Models. Scale Model Podcast, Anthony slides into the host chair and is joined by Jeff and Terry for some great modeling discussions. So when you get a chance, and maybe after you're done listening to this, go check out one of those or all of those excellent podcasts. And don't forget the Golden Sprue Awards. Their voting has wrapped up and the winners will be announced this coming weekend. So we're all looking forward to hearing what the uh, voters had to say. Also, RightCon, the IPMS Right Field Virtual Model Show and Contest is underway as of this recording. Winners should be announced this weekend as well. I hope everyone had a chance to participate in that event. Hey guys, we have a ton of listener feedback to go through. TJ, why don't you uh, why don't you start us? All right, let's get into some listener feedback. Brian Schultz says, just found your podcast the other day. I have to say, it's been making my days go better at work. Oh, cool. Listening to other people that are interested in the same thing as I am. One of the few good things that has happened this year with all the stuff going around in the world is I've gotten back into the hobby for the first time since I was in my teens. As a kid, I mostly built cars, armor, and some sci-fi. I just want to say I've now gotten through all of your episodes and they keep getting better all the time. Thanks, Brian. Tony Jacob, a longtime Pisces member, wrote in to say, Just when I thought I couldn't possibly have even more respect for your posse, you let me know that you hate pineapple pizza. You guys are really great. Love the interview with Uncle Night Shift. I had a smile on my face the whole 90 minutes. Tony's also requested a discussion on AFE tracks. In particular, the pluses and minuses of the different options. Rubber band, Link Link Styrene, Workable Metal, all that stuff. And tips for working on them. 
So that's probably something we'll jump into at some time. Yeah, that might make a good episode all in, all in, all on its own. Uh, David Goldfinch from On the Bench podcast writes in with some slightly different feedback in regarding the great pineapple on pizza debate. While this podcast has to be ranked as a must-listen for the discerning modeler, I cannot in good conscience or for the sake of full turpitude of the gastronomic <laughs> world allow or even for a second hear any bad-mouthing of the merits of pineapple on pizza. Everyone knows pine- <laughs> that pineapple is God's own gift to pizza lovers around the world. I've never seen someone use so many big words and yet be so terribly wrong as <laughs> David did with uh, his little feedback there. <laughs> That's okay. We won't hold it against you, Dave. He's a good guy, even though he likes pineapple. <laughs> uh, by the way, episode six uh, was our most popular to date. Probably has a lot to do with having Uncle Night Shift on the episode. We have a bunch of new posse members. So thanks to all for coming along with us. Some of our new friends have been sharing their projects and updates with us. Craig Everson and his 1970 Dodge Charger, which we really need to get a car show in. I think we're kind of working on one, so that'll be cool. Scott Hall and his USS Reliant project. Justin Ryans with his 187th New York Central Hudson steam locomotive, plus many others. Remember to check out the Plastic Posse Facebook page for all kinds of fun content builds and conversations. Raziel Nelson had some questions about getting paints to Alaska without them freezing. I've never dealt with that problem, but we sent him over to our buddies at Andy's Hobby Headquarters to pick up a bunch of paints for winter sets in. Patrick Perales over there will hook them up. Yeah, so Jeff Betcher writes in to say, Hi guys, I just wanted to say I enjoy your podcast. It nicely compliments the others out there. I've been building models for as long as I can remember. The odd hiatus here and there with the seasons of life. My interests are eclectic, from aircraft to ships to armor to sci-fi to model railroads. That's pretty much everything. <laughs> I always have a few projects on the go, as it seems. So do I. So I can sympathize with that. And keeping with your emphasis in science fiction, here's a couple photos of some current projects. And he shared with us a Space 1999 Eagle One transporter from the 70s TV show, which is an awesome looking science fiction um, spaceship. I never watched Space 1999, but I love the design of the Eagle One. So cool. Yeah, those eagles were really cool, really ahead of their time, I think. On a sidebar, I believe the original Millennium Falcon was kind of designed like that accidentally. That's why they changed it. I think I heard something like that. Like they designed one, it looked too much like the Eagle One, so they changed it to the saucer type thing that we have, that we all know and love. I did not know that, Doug. Did you know that? I think I've heard that before. I'm not yeah. sure if that's if that's really what happened, yeah. or yeah, feel free to fact you know, check me on that. That's that true. that very well could be just an urban legend, but um, but it it seems to fit, um, especially Eagle. considering the original designs as I've seen of the Falcon. Uh, Jeff goes on to say it's a rebox of a very old kit in one ninety second scale, according to Scalemates, and he says to keep up the great work with the podcast. Thank you, Jeff. Stephen Ortman wrote us in and said, Hey guys, I found your podcast thanks to Sam Dwyer on Instagram as he mentioned the T3485 uh, group build. TJ will talk a little bit more about that uh, later on. It's, that's been a lot of fun. I just finished episode three and I love it. The audio quality has really improved a lot compared to the first episodes. Just a little difference in the volume between people talking here and there. But we definitely appreciate that, Stephen. He goes on to say, in this episode, you mentioned a color mule or something like that. We actually called them uh, paint mules, I believe. Basically, an old model to test airbrush colors. I think everyone has one of those, and I'd really love to see those as they are mostly odd-looking 
and surely entertaining. Keep up the great work. I look forward to more and more episodes and maybe a gift guide for Christmas. That's a good suggestion. What do you guys think about doing a Plastic Posse podcast uh, gift guide? I think that's an excellent idea. Yeah, that's cool. I would love to see that. Only, only, how do we share that with our with our significant others? That's, that's, I don't, that's I don't know how one. everybody else is, but my wife always says, "I never know what to get you," and I'm like, "But I give you lists, but it's all model stuff." Yeah, of course, it's all model stuff. <laughs> Exactly. Uh, duh, do you know me? <laughs> yeah, but she also knows if she doesn't get it for me, I'll find a way to get it for myself. Also, the uh, the suggestion to do a thread on posting paint mules is interesting. We'll have to file that one away and maybe explore that one on the Facebook page. That sounds like it could be a lot of fun. You guys have paint mules, right? Oh, yeah. Got a couple of them. Jim Drew. Uh, Jim Drew writes in. Uh, he actually wrote us a couple of times. Appreciate that. Uh, welcome to the show, Jim. Hey, guys. Welcome to the podcast World for Scale Models. I really enjoyed your first two shows, and I'm catching up on the others while at the bench. I have been building since the late 60s. I recently retired in order to take care of my wife, who has MS. And my build time is limited to the mornings with coffee and listening to all the other guys' podcasts. It really does help me to feel like part of the community. You know, Jim, I just want to thank you for that feedback. That's why we're doing this. I mean, we just, we all felt like when we started this out that what we were really missing out was, you know, going down to our local hobby shop and hanging out, telling lies with the guys and, you know, that community part of the hobby. And uh, we really appreciate that feedback. So thank you very much. I probably focus mainly on race cars, but love to break out of the box with other types of kits. Plus, learning to weather a military vehicle really helps to get a good patina on a race car. If you guys ever want some input on the shiny side of the hobby, just let me know. So, TJ, there you go. When we get our uh, car episode, we'll give uh, give Jim a call. Yeah, awesome. Episode 5 was also the best. So inspiring. Keep up the awesome work. Thank you. Uh, episode 5 was our episode on uh, mental health and uh, John Bias. So that was uh, one that we enjoyed as well, Jim. Thank you. Alan Murrell, longtime Posse member. Uh, keep up the great work on the podcast. It sits well with the other shows. Each show has a different take on modeling. And a big thumbs up from Edinburgh, Scotland. Did I say that right? Edinburgh? or is Edinburgh. It Edinburgh. Anyway, Mark, I apologize if I said that wrong. But thanks a lot for the feedback. Cameron Corliss, uh, one of our uh, guests from early on from Wasatch Modeler YouTube channel said, I loved your last cast. Lately, I have been suffering from the modeling blues and I blame the AMK, AMK uh, F14D Tomcat as well as the Edward F15, which he says is basically a reboxed Academy kit. The Tomcat is close to done, but I think I might put the F15 on the shelf and build something more enjoyable. I took some great lessons from John. I think some of us take the hobby too serious as well. I definitely need to be doing it right and have some perspective. Thanks, Cameron. That's great feedback. And just so you know, I have heard that that AMK Tomcat kit has put a lot of modelers out to pasture, so don't feel bad at all. <laughs> Chris Lovewell, great podcast. I'm always chomping at the bit for the next installment. I'm sure you guys heard of Boyd Crompton, excuse me, of Trekworks. He does Trek and other sci-fi models, as well as automotive and aircraft builds. Really down-to-earth guy who shares all he's learned on YouTube, even though he does commission work full-time now. I think he was an auto body tech. Maybe a future interview? Keep up the great work. Thank you, Chris. That's a great suggestion. I'm not familiar. I'll have to 
check his uh, workout. That's awesome. It's pretty good stuff. Oh, good. Good. You're familiar with yep. it. Mark Box, I just had to say congrats on a great podcast. Really enjoy the guests you have and look forward to more insightful topics. Terry Wilkinson says, you guys keep knocking it out of the park. Well done, lads. And Robert Lara says, listen to the podcast. Really enjoyed the interview with Martin Night Shift Kovach. Uh, well done, fellows. Uh, that is a ton of listener feedback. Thank you so much. We definitely want to keep hearing from you. It helps us figure out what we're doing on future episodes and uh, helps us to kind of know that you guys are out there and a part of this uh, podcast that we do. It's a community and we're having a lot of fun. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Thanks and welcome to the posse. Once again, I'd like to second that and, and thank everybody for the feedback. Uh, what do we have next, Scott? Uh, why don't we do some kit reviews? Uh, we didn't get a chance to do any of those last week. We wanted to leave um, a lot of time for Uncle Night Shift, and I think that was worthwhile. I'm going to get us started, if you guys don't mind. I have just recently picked up from our friends over at Andy's Hobby Headquarters, uh, thanks Patrick, a Tamiya 135th scale Martyr 1. This is a really interesting little armor piece. It's uh, something that, to be honest, I was a little surprised that was going to be released as a mainstream kit. What the vehicle is, if you're not familiar, is a tank destroyer that is a German Pac-40 75mm gun, but it's mounted on a French Lorraine tractor chassis. The Germans, when they overran uh, France, I guess, captured about 200 or so of these and, and made a few of them. So it's a really interesting vehicle with the French running gear and the, the German stuff up top. It's a beautiful kit. It's very, very well molded. It has Lincoln length tracks. It's got a lot of slide molding used in uh, the parts. It's got a one-piece gun barrel, which is really, really nice, and it's very straight and true for a plastic gun barrel. It's got ammunition and a really nice set of figures to go with it. Those are all the uh, pros. Uh, the cons of it are kind of your typical Tamiya con. It is an open-topped vehicle, and there are ejector pin marks on the lower hull mostly where you're not going to see them they'll be covered by the running gear but they are there and then a few on the inside of the crew compartment so you know that's just something that the way that Tamiya engineers their kits you're going to get that especially on an open topped vehicle it could, does come with uh, like all the newer Tamiya kits a beautiful full color fold out uh, spread with three different options for markings that's really really nice and uh, instructions are typical to me. Uh, they've gone to these new stapled booklets that are just fantastic. Their instructions, I think, are pretty much the class of the industry. I think everyone would agree with that. But overall, really great kit. I'm going to give this kit a 9 out of 10 or on our rating scale. I guess about probably about a four and a half out of five stars. Really excellent. If you're interested in, in uh, tank destroyers or uh, unusual vehicles, you're going to really like this uh, model kit. Uh, Doug, what are you going to review for us this week? This week, I'll talk about the, it's kind of a classic to me now, the Hazegawa 148 scale Hawker Typhoon Mark 1B. Oh, nice, nice aircraft. I built one years ago when it was a brand new kit. This came out, uh, I want to say late 90s, and I built one and I really enjoyed it. The one I built was a uh, the car door style. I can't seem to find those anymore. I don't know if they're still making that one, but you can easily pick up the one with the teardrop canopy. Pretty much the same kit other than that right around the uh, the cockpit. Anyhow, I've got a second one that I will be building one of these days. It's 
got really pretty good fit. Just a few little issues to, to address here and there, but nothing nothing that's too too difficult. The Typhoon just looks like a butt kicker. It looks like one of those aircraft that you don't want to tangle with. In my mind, my favorite aircraft are all radial engines because of those big, fat front ends that just look so cool. And this gets honorable mention for, for that, even though it's, a, it's not a radial, it's an inline engine. It looks like it should have a radial engine in it with that big chin scoop. And it's menacing. It's got four cannons in the wings. It's just a great looking aircraft. Good kit overall. Is yours the three blade or the four blade prop? Three blade. And does yours have the rockets? It does. Oh man, nice. That's a gr- that's my favorite version of that aircraft. So very very cool airplane. Pretty dang good kit. I would give it a four out of five. Awesome. TJ, what do you have for us? All right, I am going to revisit the Rafael models. T-34-85, number 174 factory. I did a quick review of it a couple episodes ago, but you know now that we've kind of got this um, group build thing going on, figured we could talk about it again. Uh, full disclosure, I have not built this kit yet. I've been really busy, and I've been trying to find the time to build it, but I have not. But after going through and looking at it, man, it just it looks so good. Uh, Rifle Models did a lot of good things with this kit. The cast texture is fantastic. The weld seams are great. I know not everyone's a big fan of, of molded-on weld seams, but I personally think that these are probably some of the best. And I, I don't really see a good reason to remove them and do them over again. I mean, I guess you could if you really wanted to. I'm not going to. Yeah, they're really sharp. The road wheels are fantastic because the rubber is separate, which is always... That's just like one of those small things that makes one of the worst parts of both building and painting a tank... At least for me personally, I hate road wheels. I mean, you got to do it because most tanks have them. And anything that makes it easier is always appreciated. And and having the hubs and the tires separate is much appreciated. It's going to make speed up the painting, you know, a lot. Uh, the the kit tracks are really cool. They even have like the little cast marks on them, like like they would from the factory. Um, and then I also to kind of compliment that sorry i leaned away from the mic there i got the upgrade their upgrade solution series kit i i got it because it has the fenders and the full fenders it has the mud flaps and the fenders all in photo etch and toolboxes and fuel tanks which i'm not going to use i don't really understand why you would want to because the kit ones are slide molded with all the weld seams where they're supposed to be uh, i mean i guess if that's your thing go for it but I'd rather spend my time doing lots of other things other than curling photo etch um, because I can never get it right. But the fenders are fantastic, and I really look forward to to replacing the kit fenders, which are also nice with these photo etch ones to get that realistic, you know, where they warp and get bent up and stuff. I mean, since I haven't built it, I can't tell you if there's really anything wrong with it. I've heard from from the group build there's a few issues with the instructions which is unfortunate because i have not found that to be the case with previous refuel model kits but um i'm gonna go ahead and give it four and a half out of five you know i think just based on what i know and what i've seen this is probably one of the best t34 kits especially modern ones out there but i don't have a lot of experience in that but i chose to build this one over any of the other ones out there just because I'm familiar with Rifle model, but I would I would definitely recommend it. And since we're talking about that, 
I'm also going to go ahead and say, go ahead, if you're on Facebook, to go check out our T3485 group build of this kit. We have 119 members, and it's all stages, you know, all skill levels. We got some really good modelers in there, and then we got some okay modelers, such as myself. So, you know, feel free to check it out. It's really cool, um, especially John Bonani. He's got a step-by-step uh, photo album in that uh, Facebook group to show you how he has worked on his, because unsurprisingly, I think he's ahead of it pretty much everyone else uh, all hundred uh, all uh, almost 120 of us jb's a machine man yeah. he he's uh, he's just cranks those out and he doesn't he doesn't cut corners he's just he's just great swing by and check us out we you can just search on the, on the facebook search for the plastic positive podcast rfm t3485 group build I mean, we probably could have picked a longer name if we really thought about it, but you know, I guess that one will do. Yeah, and ask for for an invite. We'll we'll get you in. There's no time limit on it, and even if you just kind of want to check out some really good work from some really talented modelers, it's a good place to see it. Um, everyone's really super cool, and like I said, there's no time no time limit. The only thing is, is it is this kit. There's another T3485 build group out there that I would also recommend. That's pretty cool. That um. It talked about on Plastic Model Mojo, I think, two episodes ago. That, that's all sorts of models, but this one is only for this one kit, which is cool. So you can kind of see how everyone tackles, you know, one kit. I know for me personally, I always like to see how different modelers tackle the same kit. Yeah, I would I would echo what TJ said in his review. My, my uh, entry for that group build is about 85% complete. I would echo everything he said. The fit overall is really, really good. The slide molded oil and fuel drums and the separate tires are great touches uh, there are a couple of little uh, mistakes on the instructions but join our group build even if you're not 100 percent sure you're going to build it you'll be able to find things in that group that'll you know give you a heads up on what to watch out for and uh, i'm having a lot of fun building it it's a really great kit and uh, the group in there is a lot of fun too a lot of really knowledgeable guys that know a lot of it, more about T-34s than I do. So it, it's a great group, and uh, check it out. It's also a great place to go to find out, like me, that I know nothing about building armor. Because honestly, I, I watch, I'm i looking at some of the things guys do, guys that are very, very good at what they do, and I go, now why are they even doing it that way? I don't understand, because I learned modeling from an aircraft perspective. And there's things you do on aircraft that even if it means... I'm going to not do this step. I'm going to skip it because obviously you don't want to put your landing gear on before you do most of the major assembly. You know, that makes sense to me. So I'm seeing a lot of things get stuck on tanks and I'm wondering why, why are they doing this? Why would you do it in this order? Because it seems to me, this seems counterintuitive to me because my experience is all with aircraft. And, and so I'm trying to learn that as I go. And it's a group to find those things out in. Yeah. Doug's been having to learn, ter- learn about terms like 4BO. And yeah, I thought he was talking about deodorant. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This week's a little bit different for us. Instead of having a guest, the three of us are just discussing the things that inspire us, whether it's the things that inspire us just regards to modeling or just things in life, things that we love. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. It's a little different. If you don't like it, yeah, let us know. But that's okay. Anyway, let's see what we all have to say.
So I'll, I'll just start by talking about the things that I love when it comes to movies. I think most of us, most of us here have been inspired by them at one time or another. The first one to ever inspire me that, that just set my, set my world on fire was Star Wars. And if you don't know what I mean when I say Star Wars, which episode I'm talking about, I'm old enough so that Star Wars means episode four, because that's what it was called. It was Star Wars. And uh, wow, I was seven years old and it changed my life. It became the focus of everything my friends and I did for the next probably seven years. Yeah. What year was that? 1977? If you think about our popular culture since then, you know, it's gone from you know, a movie that I think impacted all of us to so much more than that. Now it's a part of the Disney umbrella and there's nine of the Skywalker movies, plus a couple of other movies, TV shows, and obviously every other part of pop culture has been affected as well. Absolutely. But to a seven-year-old boy, I saw, you could ask one of my best friends would tell you, I'm still friends with him, we still keep in touch. He'll tell you, I saw that movie and I came running to his house afterwards and said, you got to see this show. It's got lasers and monsters and spaceships. And I mean, that's what I saw as a seven-year-old. I didn't grasp the story so much, but it was visually incredible and it kept me hooked and my dad even liked it. So if my dad approves of a movie, it must be pretty good because- yeah, he doesn't like a lot of stuff. I must have seen that movie oh a dozen times in the theater over the next few years as it kept getting put back. I mean, first first issue, it was probably in the theater for a year. And then it kept getting reissued after that, and we kept going back. Even that same friend of mine, he and I had a contest when we first got a recording of of the movie on videotape. He, each of us had our own copy, and we had a contest to see who could see it 50 times first. <laughs> and I beat him to 50, and then I beat him to 100. And we both lost track somewhere in the mid-100s. I, I mean, I think the last time I actually thought of a number that I'd actually gotten to was in the 140s. I don't watch it nearly as much anymore, but I can still quote that thing forwards and back backwards. I could hum the music to it as it goes. It's just It just was... Uh, was quite quite an amazing thing to me. And your experience that you had with the original Star Wars, that was kind of more the experience that I had. We talked about this before with Empire Strikes Back. Um, I didn't get to see Star Wars in the theater, so I saw the Empire Strikes Back. I saw Star Wars for the first time on a video cassette. TJ won't remember any of this, but the first time I saw it, me and my dad went to this guy's house. A little bit sketchy, but that's how they did it back then. And you went down in his basement and he had all these videotapes and you had to sign up and pay a big fee to rent these videotapes. And it was like 10 bucks for, per night for these tapes. And you'd take them home and then put them in our VCR. And, you know, we could we could spend probably 10 minutes laughing about that technology. But um, we're kind of old, um, TJ. I'm, I'm kind of um, curious about, you know, the first, which Star Wars movie did you see the first or when did you get introduced to that whole uh, genre? Um, in my defense, I'm not that young. So we, we <laughs> definitely had VHS tapes, VCRs, all that stuff. I don't remember what year it was. Uh, sometime in the, has to be early 90s when I saw Star Wars. This is pre-special edition. Um, and I know I got the VHS set uh, for Christmas in 1994, I think. So I had already seen it by then. And then I got the VHS set for Christmas from my dad. And th those were, that's the pre 
special edition, the THX remasters, but no special edition. So they're remastered, but no added scenes. I still have the VCR uh, tapes, the VHS tapes. My mom found it um, in their house when they moved a couple years ago. So I got it. It's somewhere around here. I don't have a VCR to play it on, but I have it. Have, have you guys ever heard of Betamax? Oh, of course. That's what I had. I had a Betamax. I had those editions that TJ just talked about. I had those on LaserDisc. <laughs> oh, that, the laser the laser disc of Star Wars pre-special edition is probably the holy grail of the movies. They're the best looking non-special edition movies you can find. Yeah. Anyone that hasn't and has a laser disc player is a lucky person. Yeah, I had a player and I actually had the box set of the trilogy. I bought them and watched them a few times and then a few years later when, you know, I was phasing out my laser discs and getting DVD, I sold that box set and I sold it for like I mean, this was, you know, probably in the early 2000s. I don't know when DVD kind of started really hitting big, but I, I think I sold that set for four or $500. I mean, somebody just snatched it up from me on eBay. And uh, yeah, like you said, the, a lot of people really love that. I actually don't mind the remastered um, special editions. There's a couple things they did that I don't care for. The Greedo scene kind of ticks me off, but I actually, um, like in Empire Strikes Back, all the scenes on Bespin where they added all the windows and really opened that whole uh, sequence up and, you know, things like that. I, I really thought they were much better than the originals as far as the way they look. So I don't mind them, but I know other other people feel differently about it. Well, there's a bunch of things in them that I really, really liked. Um, I love the Millennium Falcon leaving Moss Eisley. Seeing it come up out of uh, Docking Bay 94 was really, really cool. There are a few things like the Greedo thing that really bothered me, but there's one that almost nobody talks about that bothers me every time I see it. So Bespin, um, Luke's just gotten away by throwing himself off of that that, uh, antenna, and Vader is marching out of Bespin, and he says, bring my shuttle, and you know somebody's going to die. Right. Every every officer runs like, oh, make myself small. I'm not here. I'm not here because somebody's going to die. But instead, in the special editions, they have Vader saying, inform my Star Destroyer commander to await my arrival. Well, how polite is that? You know, Mr. Mr. Vader's gotten really nice in his old age. I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. Right. I mean, that's not Darth Vader. And that bring my shuttle was just a that's a powerful line. You knew exactly what was happening. And then they went on and showed every step, him boarding the shuttle, the shuttle flying off the planet, the short shuttle approaching the Star Destroyer, the, and interspersed in the Falcon getting chased away by the TIE Fighters. And then he's landing on the Star Destroyer, and then he's getting off. It, it just, it broke up that scene and made it boring and doesn't make any sense, because you know where he's going. You didn't need any of that, and it just wrecked the whole scene. I just... Hated that. What about other shows? What about other shows you guys have been inspired by? Lord of the Rings. When I was a kid, I read and reread and reread that trilogy over and over and over. When I found out that they were finally doing proper movies for them, I went to opening day for all three of the films twice. I was there. I saw both movies, yep, with Doug as well, and uh, saw them all twice on opening day, and I loved them. And uh, the special editions especially are just with the extended content are just amazing, you know, and to spend seven years and everything they did on them and, you know, everything Weta Workshop did on them, it's just, 
it, it's not perfect like anything else. There's always something when you read a book that your imagination does that the movies never quite address, but it's so close and it's such a great series of movies that for me, I kind of doubt there'll ever be anything that impacted me the same way as far as a, a movie as something that, you know, like that for me. So yeah, Lord of the Rings for me. What about you guys? I totally agree. So I'm going to state an unpopular opinion here and feel free to anyone can challenge me to it. Oh, there goes my compressor again. I forgot to turn it off. Hold on. <laughs> let, let me let it run. <laughs> You can leave this in, just so everyone knows. Come on. This pause is brought to you today by the GoFundMe account set up for TJ Holler. If you wouldn't mind, if everybody could take a moment to donate a little bit so we can get TJ a less squeaky chair, we'd all appreciate it very much. <laughs> back, to, back to my unpopular opinion. <laughs> Lord of the Rings movies, they're more enjoyable than the books. Anyone can challenge me on that. I would much rather watch those movies. Uh, I think they're paced better, you know, and that's not going to take away from the the books themselves, which are brilliant, obviously. But the movies are easier to consume; they're paced better, and yeah, I just, I think it's the best way to enjoy Lord of the Rings. And I know that's heresy to a lot of people, and that's fine. But that's my opinion. It is unpopular, it may be. Interesting. I'm not sure if I agree or I disagree because it's sort of like different versions of the same thing, you know? So I'm not sure I like one better than the other, Doug. I, I wouldn't totally disagree with him, with the TJ. I, uh, the books are not easy to read in a lot of parts. I mean, he doesn't, he never wrote, Tolkien never wrote the in styles that would be successful today. The way he wrote it is very different. It's set up very different. It takes a long, long time to even have an idea of where the Fellowship of the Ring is going, like what it's it's supposed to be doing, which is all fine. I love those books. And and the books have something that the movies are lacking and need to be lacking. I don't think that the movies would have worked with The Scouring of the Shire, but oh my gosh, in those books, when you get to the end and you figure out what the whole point of the whole series was really about, oh my gosh, it just gave me chills. The first time I read that, I just remember putting the book down and just being blown away. I couldn't get it out of my mind for days. That was awesome. But as a movie, that wouldn't have worked. We already had, what, three or four endings in it. You would have been throwing another ending in the middle with a lot more of, of the of the four endings. There would have been a fifth ending. And yeah, it wouldn't have worked. Could you imagine if they had thrown Tom Bombadil in The it Fellowship of the Ring? <laughs> it would have been awful. It would have, oh, it would have ruined that movie because that movie is paced so it's paced really briskly and i know obviously the journey in the book takes way longer than it seems to in the movie but that's okay yeah i think i think that's borne out i like the hobbit films a lot more than most people do um especially hardcore tolkien fans but i think that's borne out by the scene in the first hobbit movie where the dwarves are singing the song you know the the book the hobbit starts out as almost like a children's book and then obviously as it goes along it becomes more serious and by the end of the book it's much much bigger and and a different scope than it started but that scene doesn't really match the timber of any of the six movies um it's just a little too lighthearted and silly and i think that you know, Tom Bombadil probably would have had the same fate. And it was the same with uh, Radagast. You know, the the tone and the timber of the Radagast character was just a little inconsistent. And and I think that that's sort of the Tom Bombadil thing. It works better in a book. Cool. How about you, TJ? Is there, are there any movie series or any movies that just 
really did it for you? We already touched on my two favorite things in the world, Star Wars and, and <laughs> Lord of the Rings. I know I've told you guys before, but I have a Star Wars tattoo and I have a Lord of the Rings tattoo. So, I mean, those <laughs> when I say those really are two of my favorite things, that is extremely accurate. I mean, I can't really think of anything else movie-wise. I mean, obviously, I love lots and lots of movies of different genres, but nothing holds a candle to Star Wars or Lord of the Rings. I could watch all of those movies on an endless loop and be happy. Yeah, they're great. What about an individual movie? Like a movie that blew my mind and it's still and always will be a favorite is The Last of the Mohicans. The music, the cinematography, um, the acting, the choreography of the battles, the locations they shot. It's just, it's it's a, a movie that just blows me away every time I watch it. You guys have a individual movie like that there are there are a bunch of movies that individually kind of blew my mind uh the first time i watched the bridge on the river kwai another one of those kind of wow moments where where i I saw something and and it wasn't until it was over that i really kind of processed it all and speaking of processing a movie um inception that was one that when i got out of the theater i was like i really liked that and about half an hour later i was sitting there staring at a blank wall going oh my gosh wait, wait, what? And I was, and I was, it was starting to just slowly sink in and process what I'd witnessed. And, and the story was starting to kind of simmer with me and it was, yeah, what a great show. Kind of like the scene in the end of Schindler's List when the people give him the ring that they made from all their gold fillings and their teeth and Oscar Schindler realized what he'd done and what he could have done. That moment for me, as far as a movie goes, was pretty pretty powerful as well yeah um i guess i have to mention saving private ryan I mean, that heavily influenced i mean my love for uh world war ii history you know i was uh when did that movie come out 97 or 98 97 98 i was like 15 um and my parents took me to see it in the movie theater i, I want to say we saw it Maybe like on, uh, we used to go to the movies on New Year's Eve. So we might have saw it then. I don't remember. I just know I saw it in the movie theater. And that movie, it holds up. I mean, I watched it a couple months ago. I watched it on June 6th, as a matter of fact. And um, it holds up. It's so good. It's it's brilliant. If we're talking Saving Private Ryan, what about um, Band of Brothers? Oh, yeah. Here, here we go. Here we go, TJ. <laughs> Unpopular opinion. I think Bando Brothers is better than Saving Private Ryan. No arguments from me. Uh, I mean, well, well, here's the thing. I don't think you can really compare the two in in like you can with the Lord of the Rings movies and the books because they're two adaptations of the same story. Bando Brothers is not the same telling of the Saving Private Ryan story. But on a whole, yeah. I mean, you know, you also have what? There's 10 episodes, so there's five times as much. It's like a <laughs> Saving Private Ryan times five. So, yeah. It's beautiful, man. I'm not going to disagree. It's amazing. I, I I remember watching that when it was out and thinking like, man, this is awesome. Um, and I also really like the Pacific, I guess, the the spiritual successor, if you want to call it that, to uh, Band of Brothers. It was, that was really good. Are there any books that y'all have listened to or listened to? Well, we listen to books now, don't we? I do not. <laughs> um, I, I don't. There are books that have had a big influence on me as well. Starting from the time I was very young, I started reading Louis L'Amour books. Yeah, they're very, very simple. They're Westerns. And the average page count in one of those is probably about 125 pages. They're tiny. 
with big print and everything. But they they opened my mind up to to reading, and I got into those, and then I was able to graduate to bigger and bigger books. Um, I really enjoyed early Clancy stuff. I really enjoyed some fantasy. Um, the Belgariad by David Eddings is very very good, and a few other uh, series since then. Right now, I am anxiously awaiting uh, Brandon Sanderson's Rhythm of War, which is book four in the Stormlight Archives, which is world building at its best. It's a huge, so far three books, huge 1400 pages, I think about on average. I know book book three was over 1400. Just, just he created a world unlike anything I've ever read before. And, and it's fantastic and some really cool magic systems, fun, fun stuff. What about you guys? Go ahead, Scott. So as far as a single book goes, um, a book that I've recently got uh, TJ reading and I just finished again is Dune, um, the original novel of Dune. It's it's such a such a, a great um, you know attempt at at fiction I guess fiction fantasy hybrid. And then another book that that really I think is fantastic and really underrated is Watership Down. And I don't know if you guys have, have read that, but a fantastic book for me. Just in, I guess in my life in general has been pretty much everything written by Kurt Vonnegut. He's my all-time favorite author. I've read, I think I've read all of his books. I know I own all of his books. I'm pretty sure I've read them all. I have three tattoos based on his books. Some of them are some of his own drawings. Two of them are, another one is just something from his book. My cousin introduced me to him when I was in high school. Uh, she bought me Breakfast of Champions, which is still my favorite book of all time. And was like, hey, uh, I think you'd really like this guy. So I started reading it and I just voraciously consumed all of his novels and uh, some of his nonfiction since then. I don't read a whole, I mean, I don't read as much as I should, as much as I used to. And what I do read, I, I typically read historical type stuff and biographies. Those are my favorite. I don't read a whole lot of fiction. I've read the first the first, I think, three books of Lord of the Rings, which I thought were fantastic. Some of the best fantasy I've ever read. And I don't, well, but I don't read a lot of fantasy, so I guess I don't have a lot to judge it on. You chose well. Yeah, I mean, you know, and I, I read A Game of Thrones, the first book, after I watched, I want to say, for the first couple seasons. I was, I was a latecomer to Game of Thrones show because I watched the first episode when it came out and I thought, oh, man, this is stupid. I don't understand any of this. And I love fantasy. Uh, pass. And then by like season three, I I had enough people telling me that I was really missing out. So I, I caught up and then I read the books. And uh, yeah, I don't, I don't regret doing it that way. I think it helped me kind of like take in the book. And also, you know, knowing, you know, I put the characters that I heard on TV, like their voice into the character in the book, which. I mean, I kind of like, I know some people don't like to do that, but that's how I like to read. So, yeah. Another excellent book, if you haven't read it, is The Stand by Stephen King. It's a huge, long novel. It's by far his masterpiece. I really love some of his books and don't love other of his books. But The Stand is just, I think it towers above anything anything else he ever wrote. So that's one of his books that I have not read. I, I went through a huge Stephen King phase uh, when I was in probably middle school and maybe like early high school. 
where I read like it, most of, well, at least all of his popular ones, except for the stand, just because it was so long. I was, it was always one of those things where I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll read it eventually. Let me read these other ones first. And then I stopped reading Stephen King books because I just moved on. But uh, yeah, I know a lot of people I know love that book. Maybe I'll read it one day. We'll see. Speaking of historical books, like TJ was mentioning, um, uh, Adam Makos has written a few that are just astonishingly good based on interviews he he did with the participants of those events. Um, that would be Spearhead and A Higher Call and Devotion, all excellent books. Two World War II and Devotion is a Korean War book. He He interviewed the people that are still with us that participated in those events and it was they're they're amazing i highly recommend those as well yeah spearhead is one of the best books i've ever read i'm reading that right now awesome it's excellent they just got that they just got their pershing how do you how did you like uh clarence smoyer's reaction to their their firing the gun the first time it was pretty awesome to read (laughs) read what what he thought yeah it's 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 a well-written book absolutely Another thing that we we tend to do when we're building is uh, I listen to a lot of music. Um, sometimes I've got podcasts on. Sometimes if I've got a little little uh, project that I can work up up in the kitchen, um, I set out on the table and I turn the TV on. So I might watch some YouTube or something. But I listen to a lot of music when I build. Do you guys have a have a playlist you like? What do you What do you do? What do you What's your go to for music? TJ, take this one. <laughs> oh, you're gonna beat me up over this. I don't listen to music when I model, which is weird because I love music like a lot. I used to play in a band. I still have a bass guitar. I still have my big, huge uh, cabinet. I have ungodly amount of music on my computer. I have hundreds and hundreds of LPs and CDs. And yeah, but I, I don't know. For some reason, when I when I build things, I just don't listen to music. Wow. I don't even know you anymore, man. <laughs> I just, I would have thought as much as you love, uh, you know, especially cause you really love the, the, a lot of nineties bands and a lot of punk bands. You're really passionate about it. You, I know you go to a lot of concerts and go see those. So I'm, I'm really surprised. You used I, to go to a lot of concerts. Yeah. Well, we all used to. Does it, is it, you guys remember concerts, man, they were great. <laughs> hey, it hasn't been that long for me. Considering I almost never went to concerts. I went to two in the last year and a half, so that uh, was pretty good. Doug and I actually uh went went to the last concert that I w- went to. We went to it together. It was uh my favorite band right now. It's a band called Alter Bridge. Three of the guys that were in Creed with Miles Kennedy, who's just amazing. He's also the singer for Slash. Uh, they're a hard rock slash heavy metal hybrid hybrid band, and uh, they're just terrific. Every album they do, it just gets better and better. I've seen them four times. I've met them three times. They're just terrific guys, really incredible musicians, really, really great. But yeah, I don't model unless I've got music playing, and there really isn't a playlist for me. You know, I listen to basically, I'm, I'm like TJ, I've got, you know, over a thousand albums. My particular format of choice is CD. I like it. I am i don't like MP3 files at all. I just, I don't think they sound good to my ears. So I like to, you know, listen to CDs. I have a, a digital analog converter on my main stereo system. That's, that's pretty nice and a really nice stereo, but I've got a, 
a boom box downstairs uh, that's got a CD player in it, kind of an old-fashioned way to deliver music. But when I go down to my bench, I take a stack of CDs with me. So That's cool. I have I have a bunch of playlists on my phone. It all kind of depends on what I'm in the mood for, because sometimes I'm going to listen to hard rock. I'm going to listen to the Alter Bridge and, and others similar to them. But my my I mean, I, my exercise playlist is probably my favorite. And it's got anything from Star Wars soundtracks and Lord of the Rings soundtracks and a few others all the way through rock. And, and I shuffle it and who knows what's going to come up. I love classical music and sometimes I just need to be mellow while I build and I'll listen to classical music. And every now and then I'll find a really, really good track from a movie that, you know, it's hard to find. Uh, the Last Starfighter is one of those cheesy movies from the 80s that I love. And the theme to that movie is excellent. I mean, you could put that up against almost any movie theme in the last forever. You could just put it up against anything and it's and it really holds itself up. So I can I listen to all kinds of stuff. Yeah, me too. I really like the soundtrack to the original Blade Runner film, which was done by Vangelis. And uh, that's really good. It's a little odd and unusual. I like the... Sorry, listeners. I really like the Lord of the Rings soundtracks. <laughs> They're really terrific. I mean, the Star Wars stuff is amazing. And I really like a lot of Hans Zimmer's uh, music. His new, his score to the new Blade Runner uh, 2049 film was great. Uh, Gladiator is one of my all-time favorites. That's a terrific soundtrack to listen to. Um, so I really like Hans Zimmer. He's good. His interstellar soundtrack is pretty, pretty awesome too, but you've got to be in a quiet place because a lot of that music is really hard to hear, but it's deep. It's deep when you, uh, you know, can just sit and listen to it. TJ said he doesn't listen to music while he models. I, uh, went and bought myself a 40 inch TV to put on my model bench. Then I went to Amazon and picked up a, a mount put it so I could put it up above my bench and so it isn't taking up any space and then I promptled, promptly spent the next two and a half years ignoring it I just cannot <laughs> watch I cannot watch TV and model at the same time I'm just not capable of multitasking like that I'll be honest uh, modeling and watching at the same time is what helped me get me through the clone wars which I really really enjoyed but there are episodes of the clone wars that I, I can say I watched kinda because it's it, they did some really neat stuff in that series, but if it had Jar Jar in it, it was it was painful because he got worse because it's a cartoon and he's a cartoony character, and so he was even worse in the cartoon. But at least it was a cartoon, you know. You could accept that in a cartoon, but uh, but then they would throw some really deep stuff at you. I mean, you're watching a cartoon where originally made for kids, and they they figured out real quick that it was. Star Wars fanboys watching it, so they made it for Star Wars geeks later on. And I mean, you're watching people are getting their heads cut off, and and it's really pretty violent, but it's really cool. We've been talking a lot about pop culture. I'm going to steer us in a little bit of a different direction. TJ, from a modeling standpoint, who is the first modeler that blew your mind? That that made you go, okay, I want to do this hobby. And I want to hopefully someday be as good as this person. Man, that's a good question. I guess, well, it's kind of weird because when I started modeling, I didn't, um, you know, I started with uh, like wargaming stuff. So there, I didn't know anybody like at all, like any, I guess, famous 
for lack of a better term, um, miniature painters, which there definitely are, but I wasn't aware of them. But I guess really when I started scale mod, like traditional scale modeling with the fine molds, um, Star Wars stuff, I guess I'd say Andy Moore in his Star Wars stuff. He's terrific. I found him on Brit Modeler, which is an okay website at best. But I, again, I was just Googling stuff, you know, ideas for when I think, I think it was when I was maybe building my first X-Wing and I came across some of his stuff and was like, man, <laughs> this guy is amazing. And I'm not going to lie when I say I probably copied him and still do to some degree ever since I found out about his work. I wonder if he knows that because he's he's seen some of my builds uh, that because I used to post kind of frequently on Brit Modeler and he has interacted with uh, some of my stuff and, you know, complimented my work and so on and so forth. And I always wondered if he knew he I mean, he had to right? like, I don't know why he couldn't if I did something that looked almost exactly like his, but obviously not as good. Um, when I did my B wing, I was I was actually in the process of painting it when I discovered Andy Moore's B wing build online. And so some of the things I did after the fact, as I was trying to, to uh, complete it, I actually copied a few things that he did because it's, that's one of the most beautiful B-Wings I've ever seen. Oh yes. His B-Wing is awesome. Yeah. There's no doubt. He's really, really talented and he has a way of bringing his own personality and own approach into every one of his builds. You know, he'll, he'll, he'll always open a panel or create a, a, a base that is so far above and beyond what you'd expect from a simple model base, you know, um, droids or, uh, you know, buckets of parts off to the side of the, of the craft, uh, you know, just things like that. He, he's really, he's a terrific and gifted modeler for sure. Oh yeah. His, um, he did a, a Bondi X-Wing with the little snow base. Fantastic. I don't know if you've seen that one. I haven't seen that one. I oh, it. I mean, his X-Wing, he did a you know custom scheme, of course. And it's like red and white. I'm not the biggest fan of the scheme just because I'm a little bit of a traditionalist when it comes to my Star Wars subjects. I like canon stuff more often than not. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but you know, that's my personal taste. Then he did like um, similar to the base from Star Wars, like Yavin 4. Right, like kind of like on the inside, but there were then there was like snow outside, but like the doors open, so like the snow's like blowing into the base, kind of like Hoth. Oh, it's, it's so good! It's so good. Doug, um, what about you? Who's the the first modeler that made you go, "Wow"? Fred Yaki. Fred was a retired gentleman. I think I've mentioned him on the show before, but when I was just before I turned six, I moved to Costa Mesa, California. My neighbor across the street, retired gentleman named Fred, built models in his garage, and uh, he let us kids come over and watch. He had one of those those industrial compressors in his garage, so you knew when he was there because you'd hear that thing fire up, and uh, we'd go running over and, and watch him build. He didn't have the weathering stuff that we have today. He built his models clean, but he built them flawlessly. He did some stuff that, that to this day, I don't think I could replicate, even with the tools that I have. He just had a, a master's touch. He did a B24 and 48 scale that was one of those that they, they did for spotting practice. I don't know if you're familiar with the ones. They were kind of all white, but had different colored dots, all like circles all over it. He built that and he replicated it perfectly. 
There was never a seam left un, untouched on it. You know, everything was perfect. He was even the first person I ever saw use references back in the, the late seventies when there were probably all of uh, six or so pictures of MiG 25s. He built a MiG 25 and it was a 72nd scale kit. And I, he pointed it out to me. He said, look at this vent on the, on the top of the plane. It's in the wrong spot. And he shows me a picture and he says, see, it should be here. And in scale, he probably moved it half an inch, you know, on his model in scale, it would have been, you know, what is that in 72nd scale, about three feet. Nobody would have known but him. And yet he moved it and you could not tell that that wasn't part of the original mold on that kit. It was amazing. And to this day, I've never, I I haven't met anybody that was any better than him. I think he would love to see what people are doing today and what, what kind of kits are out there. But, you know, sadly he passed over 20 years ago, but uh, what an inspiration. Yeah. It's awesome that you had a a chance to meet somebody like that. That kind of ties into what I want to talk about. There, there is a modeler that that's impacted me kind of from afar and that's Mike Rinaldi, um, his approach to weathering and the way that he finishes armor pieces. I mean, every one of, of his pieces that I've seen have just really blown my mind. And he's somebody that I've, I've corresponded with a little bit and he's just a terrific guy, you know, so he's really impacted me, but I tend to be kind of more influenced by people that I know and, and people whose models I see. And that's, what's great about, yeah, I think in last episode or maybe two episodes ago, TJ called it living in the future. What's great about living in the future and with what we have online and the community that we have online, it's it's great because you can interact with modelers that maybe you don't even know. Um, that's how TJ and I met. In 2017, we had uh, in Scale Modelers Critique Group. I had just uh, joined shortly before that, not too long, and we had a 45-day group build. I started working on a Bandai Slave 1, and I found this build online from some guy named TJ Holler um, that had done one. And I just thought it was fantastic. TJ and I tend to, I think, see weathering and paint and and things like that a lot the same way. So it really, really appealed to me. And uh, I ended up reaching out to him and we we started talking and, uh, you know, just immediately felt like I'd known TJ for five years and I got, you know, a really good friend out of it. I don't need to to be cheesy here. And then, and, <laughs> but, okay. but, but that, I mean, that, that was a big influence on me. It was a big influence on my build as well. And then um, same thing with you, Doug, when we first met, I wasn't, you know, really a very good modeler. I didn't really airbrush to much to speak of. I had a really super cheap one that ran on those crappy little cans of air and uh, had basically just sort of resigned myself to chuck it in the garbage and everything. And, you know, Doug had a an Iwata airbrush and he had a silent air compressor, which were just blew my mind right out of the water. But what, you know, what he taught me about airbrushing and his aircraft modeling and everything left a, a pretty indelible mark on me too. And, you know, again, sorry, listener, don't mean to be cheesy, but I again, again, I tend to be influenced by the people around me and what I can see and the social part of the hobby 
you know, getting back to the theme of what we're talking about, what inspires me is seeing the people around me, the people that I know and the people that I interact with and what they do. And even, even when there are builds, you know, TJ, I get after you all the time because you'll do a build and you'll just be, Oh, I don't like this. It's not good enough. And, and I'm just over here and my jaws on my desk, you know, and I'm just like, what are you talking about, dude? And <laughs> and Doug's the same way. Doug, that Bandai Millennium Falcon you did recently in that B-Wing, you know, stuff like that. So anyway, that that's really more of an influence on me than people I don't know. But, you know, we're so fortunate, you know, to have guys like John Bonani and Uncle Night Shift and Mike Rinaldi and Adam Wilder and all these modelers. And we get to see their stuff, David Parker, yeah, we get to see this stuff in real time online, what they're doing. And I mean, this whole, the hobby is dead <laughs> BS that, you know, we've all talked about. We're, we're just living in the best time ever to be a modeler. You know, it's, you know, what's really amazing about all these guys you're talking about is how many of them are willing to take the time to actually talk to us, that they'll talk yeah, to us on yeah. our podcast, or they'll just take the time to communicate with us on their Facebook pages or anything. They're just, they're, most of them are really down to earth people and they're just, they're, they're loaded with talent and they want to help us get better too. Yeah. I would put, um, I, you know, I know I probably, I think I did tell John, um, <laughs> John Manani on, on our first episode. Uh, he is one of my modeling heroes. So yeah, the fact that I got to talk to him was, uh, it was pretty cool. Uh, I, you know, geeked out a little bit over it because he's awesome. I am not as involved with the that side, the pop culture side of modeling, if pop culture is what you could call it. Um, I'm just learning who some of these people are, so maybe I'm I'm not sufficiently in awe of some of the te- some of these guys that we get to talk to. I mean i I got to talk to Uncle Night Shift, and I got to talk to John Bias and John Bonani, especially our very first episode. I had to go watch his stuff before we started because I just. I just haven't been following so many of these things. And yet here I am and they're willing to talk to me. And I think my skills after watching their stuff and discussing things with them, I think my skills get better because of it. Yeah, there's no doubt. They're all very, very talented. And and certainly for them to take the time to speak with us has been great. It's been a lot of fun. It lets us all be fanboys a little bit, but hopefully, uh, you know, our listeners appreciate those interviews because they, they sure are a lot of fun and, you know, there's nothing like learning about uh, Uncle Night Shift and his hatred for pineapple pizza or, <laughs> you know, all, all the different things, you know, John Bonani and his uh, his love for barbecue, you know, just all the fun, fun things that we've got to kind of learn talking to these guys. And of course, they're all just immensely talented. Uh, I'm a huge video game player. Uh, not so much now that I've gotten a little bit older and don't really have the time, but uh, definitely when I was younger. But the reason why my video, love of video games relates to modeling, because I, I know I've, I probably mentioned it in previous episodes, that is how I got introduced to Warhammer 40,000 through the game Dawn of War, which I still play now because it's still awesome. Th- that I'm a huge fan of real-time strategy games, RTS games, and that was, Dawn of War was an RTS game that was actually kind of ahead of its time in a lot of ways um, with some of its mechanics. And it was set in the Warhammer universe, uh, which I had never really that I remember anyways, heard of. 
before that, but I played it and I fell in love with it and 10 years at least, you know, since like games come out, now here we are. I have a whole desk full of little space Marines and a whole army. And yeah, I absolutely love it. What about you guys? Well, Scott and I are old enough to remember Pong. Oh, there it goes again. There's the compressor. <laughs> <laughs> I got to talking and forgot to go turn it off. Hold on. Let me turn it off. Really? I should just fix the air leak. So, so yeah, I mean, I'm old enough. I remember Pong. I played uh, Asteroids in the, in the arcades. I remember dark rooms with neon lights packed with, with a hundred machines that kids were waiting in line with their quarters up on the, on the, the sign to play next. Um, I almost beat Dragon's Lair once. And, uh, and the Atari 2600 was one of the coolest things I'd ever seen. Um, I don't play a lot of games anymore. Uh, I found out thanks to uh, the Nintendo 64 and GoldenEye that I get motion sick playing video, uh, first person shooters. And so, which is unfortunate because that game was a lot of fun. Um, right now, uh, the only things I've got that I play, um, almost every day is world of tanks and world of warships, not because they're great games, but I can get on there and play for about 15 minutes and, and, and good or bad. It doesn't matter. I play a game and I turn it off. That's kind of where I'm at with video games right now. Scott. I am a huge blizzard fan, or at least, uh, you know, maybe at some point we'll say I was, a huge Blizzard fan, but um, especially the Diablo franchise. Played all all three of them, and uh, hopefully sometime in the next year uh, there'll be the fourth one out that I can play. But I love love the Blizzard universe. Um, really, uh, besides Diablo one, two, and three, I played. Um, I'm like TJ. I like RTS games. So um, StarCraft one and two, and the original Warcraft one, two, and three games. They were awesome. I played World of Warcraft a little bit online, uh, but I tend to kind of not really like MMOs. Recently, I haven't really been playing many video games. I have a, a, a podcast that I have uh, that eats up a lot of my time in addition to my modeling. But um, in the last uh, year or two, I played The Witcher 3, which was a fantastic game and I've also been a really big fan the last few years of the Elder Scrolls uh 5 Skyrim they're they're both open open world games and I really like those but yeah I've played a, a lot of games maybe not as much as as TJ but I really enjoy them uh but I tend to be with a game if it grabs me I tend to really dive in and if it doesn't grab me I tend to move on pretty quick to other things you mentioned Diablo uh, Diablo 2 was maybe the best PC game I've ever played. Um, I played that for six years at, or more. I, if I still had it on my computer, I would probably still play it. I loved that game. What I, lo- what I loved about the Diablo franchise, um, sorry, TJ, was that you know Blizzard invested into that world the same way that Tolkien invested into Middle Earth. You know, before Tolkien wrote The Lord of the Rings, he invented races and languages and poems and stories and histories and um, put sort of a framework of things that he could drape this story over. And that's one of the reasons why it's such a fantastic piece of art. And, you know, Blizzard took the same approach with 
all their properties really, but with Diablo in particular, um, you know, creating the world of sanctuary, but all the, the look of the world, the characters, the races, the angels and the demons, everything that's involved. There's just so much care and attention to detail, um, that's paid that it really makes it, I think a deeper, richer experience. So I have had an active world of Warcraft account since 2007 and I still play it. Not as much as I used to. Cause I was, I wasn't super hardcore cause I had a job. Um, I was an adult already when that game came out. So in, I was doing the same thing that I do now. So I was up, you know, at the butt crack of dawn every day. So it's not like I could go raid at, on a Wednesday night at 10 o'clock because I was asleep. But uh, yeah, I've, I've played World of Warcraft more or less continuously since 2007. And I still have the same character that I started back then. It's an undead rogue. Very cool. I wow. do like I do like Diablo, too. And StarCraft. I, I'm also a big Blizzard fan. And the I like the real-time strategy Warcraft games. Especially Warcraft 3. Um, I love that game. All right. Well, I hope you guys all enjoyed that inspiration segment. We had a lot of fun doing it. Hopefully you guys felt like you were hanging out with us down at the local brick and mortar hobby shop and felt like you were a part of that conversation. Guys, what you been up to lately? Doug, what's on uh, What's on your bench? What have you been doing? I have recently wrapped up the uh, my Gumpla, my, my Gundam kit, and uh, glad to put that behind me. I'm not, it's just not my thing. And uh, that plus the T thirty four that I've been I've been trying to work on, but since I don't get get the uh, armor scene quite as much as a lot of guys do, um, I've broken something out to get me back on track and get my mojo back. And I've started working on a Bandai speeder bike, the Star Wars uh, speeder bike. I'm very very excited about it. It's just fun to me when I'm working on Star Wars. I'm a kid again, and it's just an enjoyable thing for me. So that's what I've got going right now. I mean, I would say that that speeder bike kit, that's almost, I have that and I don't even really care about building the, the stormtrooper to go with it. I think the speeder bike alone is awesome and would look fine. It's just like a display model. Cause I love those speeders. They're so cool. Yeah, I agree, but I'm actually considering whether or not my biker scout should be fully posable the way they're designed, which I mean, that's great. But to me, the, the Bandai figures kind of look like toys when you do yeah. that, because you see yeah. the arm joints and the knee joints and, and, and to me, it takes away from it. So I may try to decide what the final pose is going to be, if he's going to be riding or standing next to it and actually kind of disassemble the thing, glue the joints in place and try to fill and sand down the seams and try to make it more realistic that way. I don't know if I'm going to go that far, but I think I might. I think that's a great idea. I've got a Boba Fett and uh, the joints are the same on that model. And what I've thought is after you've got, you've got it all glued into place, maybe taking some of that to me, a two-part ep- um, epoxy putty or a similar medium and kind of covering up those joints, you know, because 
the the elbow joints and everything you can probably you know just sculpt them with just you know random wrinkles and make them look a lot better than having those joints still be visible i'm I'm trying to find it right now as we're talking i know andy moore on brit modeler has done one of these i'm looking through all of his posts i think he also filled the joint in and i've seen other people do that it's definitely doable and you don't i mean since it's like fabric you don't even have to you know it doesn't have to be perfectly smooth either which is the best part right i'll have to check that out tj if you see that send it to us because andy moore is a great modeler and kind of back to what you guys were saying the speeder bike is really cool i love the the bolt heads the exposed bolt heads and the rivets it it almost looks like a piece of armor the way that lucasfilm designed that craft and all the like there's like exposed machinery like in the front too with like the the hoses and it's probably gone now where they moved it because uh, now there's like Star Wars World at Disney World in Florida. But um, before that opened, they have they have one. I don't know if it's full size. It's pretty big and you can sit up on top of it. So, of course, my <laughs> me uh, when I was there like uh, like four years ago, I was like, I got to have my picture on top of that thing. So let me stand in line with all these little kids <laughs> waiting for their, <laughs> for their moms to take pictures of all this thing and. And everyone's just kind of looking at me like, oh, oh, here, here's the grown man trying to uh, get on the thing that all the kids are, are getting their pictures. Oh, my on. gosh. you! I, I did <laughs> Star Wars Galaxy's Edge at Disneyland back when you were allowed to go to Disneyland in California. And and it was I went with just me and two of my best friends growing up. And we spent eight hours just sitting there staring at all of the cool Star Wars stuff in there. I mean, it was it was a good day. OK, so I found I found his. uh his post he did not fill the joints on this model so i must be thinking of a different one but it is really good i'll send it to you scott and i'll I'll put something up on the facebook page too if anyone else wants to see it it's i mean it's really cool that sounds good tj what's on your bench what is on my bench um all sorts of stuff more importantly i finished finished my 49th miniature this year so i i track i track like my wargaming miniatures that i paint um, I've built three complete built in, well, completed three quote unquote traditional scale models this year. I don't really track those, but got this list of, of what I've been finishing for like all the, the, the different games I play. I finished a, a Primaris Tech Marine, which is a new model. Can't remember if I put it on the Facebook page or not. I'm, I'm going to have to if I didn't. And then I think this is the last time I recorded, I re- finished Space Marine Dreadnought. That's 48 and 49. Uh, which I believe is like a, a brand. A, that's definitely a record for me. I, there's no belief about it. I know for a fact uh, that is a record for me. My output this year has been pretty good. So I was feeling pretty good about that. I finished that actually yesterday uh, on the 7th, um, which was my daughter's birthday. So that was also cool. As far as what's on the bench, still lots and lots of Space Marine stuff of all different kinds. I'm kind of like all over the place. Um, I've got a little Space Marine tank. They call it Razorback. It's kind of like an armored personnel carrier with a gun platform on it. It's an old one that I've had. I'm gonna. I'm like re. I essentially repainted it um, and refurbished it. So I want to finish that. It's maybe like seventy percent done. So I'm gonna do. Uh, that's on the bench right now. Um, I got a limited edition Space Marine Terminator Chaplain model. I actually got two of them by accident. I'm going to send one to my friend, but uh, yeah, he's built. I'm probably going to move him up in the queue because he's a really cool model and paint him. And then I got, oh man, like four other dreadnoughts and 
that I need to paint and some other stuff. Yeah. And I really want to crack open this T3485. I got to find the time for that. So we'll see. But that's kind of what I got going on right now. All right. Well, I'm hanging my head in shame uh, based on your output versus mine. But I've wrapped up that X-Wing. I think I'm I'm really, really happy with it. That's that Phoenix 3 um, that I that I did based on those uh, screenshots from the Rebels uh, cartoon. And uh, that's all finished. I'll post some shots of that once I get some decent photos taken. I'm about 90% finished with my 148 scale Crusader 3 from Tamiya. And I've been having so much fun with that. I actually picked up a Crusader 1 slash 2 kit that I'm going to do an early Crusader 1 of. And also the Crusader anti-aircraft variant as well in 48 scale. So I have kind of a double agenda there. I want to build them in 148 scale, but I'm hoping to nudge uh, border models to get that new uh, Crusader 3 kit out and maybe some follow-on variants as well. So there's that. And then the last thing I have is uh, my Ryefield model T3485. Like I said, I'm about 85% complete on that. It's been a lot of fun. I just have to finish the uh, link and length tracks and a few accessories on the fenders. And it will be time to prime. All right. Well, that sounds uh, good. I'm glad we're all uh, working on stuff. And uh, hopefully we'll see uh, photos of more completed models soon. Yeah, listeners out there, if you guys have in-process shots of what you're working on or you finished up some models uh, recently, make sure you add those to the community. Throw those on our Facebook page, a Plastic Posse Facebook page. We'd love to see that. And, uh, you know, we're starting to get a lot of a lot more people doing that, and it's a lot of fun. Well, we're going to give our good friend Anthony Goodman a few seconds here to uh, talk with you about his Cooper standing block. So, Anthony, take it away. Hey, this is Anthony from Goodman Models. You're listening to the Plastic Posse Podcast. This is the podcast for miniatures, Star Wars, science fiction models, and everything in between. And while you're listening in, working on your models, pick up a set of super sanding blocks, tools that will help you sand with precision. Check them out at GoodmanModels.com and keep the glue to your sprue. Listener feedback. Become a member of the posse. We will share feedback on every episode, and who knows, you might end up on a future podcast with us. We want to hear from our listeners what you like, questions for the other posse members, suggestions, whatever you think's cool. You can leave your feedback at our Facebook page or email us at plasticpossepodcast at gmail.com. We'd like to remind you to give a listen to our fellow scale modeling podcasts. That would be On the Bench with Godfather Dave, Ian, and Julian. Plastic Model Mojo with Dave and Mike, and the Scale Model Podcast with Stuart, Anthony, and the gang. If you're enjoying our podcast, Lee, if you wouldn't mind leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts, especially if you can leave us a five-star review, that really helps the Plastic Posse reach even more listeners, and we really appreciate it. Next episode, we are going to be joined by renowned Australian science fiction modeler, Lincoln Sensei Wright. He's going to talk to us about Gunpla, Machining Krieger, and a bunch of other new and exciting topics. Don't want to give away too much there, but it's going to be a lot of fun. All right, Doug, TJ, we will see you guys in two weeks. You guys take care. All right. Take care, guys. Yeah, have a good one. Yeah.